and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Burn it down! Romeo, Oscar, Lima Lima, India, November, Sierra, Rollins. Please tune in your podcasting networks to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet as it's time for another feature show. Uh, my name is David Hockney. I am your visionary for today. And as you can probably tell by the phonetically alphabetical intro, we will be reviewing the career highlights of a man known as the Architect, the Beast Slayer, and CrossFit Jesus. It is none other than Seth freaking Rollins. And joining me today is my very own makeshift shield uh, faction today. So up first, we have the Roman Reigns of uh, ESSR, who always puts, him fr- puts himself front and center, wins absolutely everything, and everybody hates him for it. It is Stephen Wilson. Yes, I am the head of this freaking table. I'm not going to start swearing early on. I'll give it a good half an hour. Uh, <laughs> yes, good to, good to be here, David, to talk about a man who I idolize myself after. Unfortunately, I can't do everything that Seth Rollins has. Please take that in whatever context you like, folks. I don't care. <laughs> Just use your imagination on that one, if uh, given the stories that have come out in the last few years. Uh, but also joining us today, I'd like to refer to him as a Dean Ambrose, but he's not very much of a, a lunatic. You know, a man who just sort of prides himself hiding in the darkness, but also at the same time claiming himself to be a bit of a messiah. But he's not a messiah, he's just a very naughty boy. It is the GOAT, David Campbell. You know, I have to say I'm really upset that Gary couldn't make today's show because I had about half an hour's worth of notes on Seth Rollins' penis ready to go for this show, you know? And now I feel it's a bit wasted on you two. So I'll save that. Me and Gary will do a Christmas special down the line, a profile show on Seth Rollins' penis coming up Christmas 2021. You have my word of that, ESSR audience. All right, we'll keep those notes for them because I don't think we're going to refer to that at any point today. (laughs) Clear. Anyway, if you're, if you're tuning in to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet for the first time, be sure to check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites. And be sure to follow us on our socials at Suplex Retweet on Twitter. Check out our Suplex Retweet community page on Facebook. We're also on YouTube where we've got some great content, including Conspiracy Theory, Quiz Showdown, and a whole bunch of other great stuff that goes on. So without any further ado, let's dive right into the career of Seth Rollins. So... On the 28th of May, 1986, in the quaint town of Davenport, Iowa, uh, we were greeted with a man by the name of Colby Lopez, of German, Armenian, and Irish descent. Uh, Now, the surname Lopez actually came from his elder brother, Brandon, uh, who was Mexican-American, and he considers as his father figure. Uh, Mr. Lopez has been described as very much an introvert, a fan of rock and roll heavy metal, and also lived a straight-edge lifestyle, a true CM punk at heart, if I do say so. But this man uh, made his uh, wrestling debut in 2005 in the Iowa independent scene under the name Gex, uh, after which he joined Ian Rotten's IWA Mid-South promotion uh, under his, his independent wrestler name, as we all recognize him, Tyler Black, who, then became a pro- who would then become a prominent name in the, uh, in the independent wrestling scene. And just to highlight a few of his other independent accolades before we get into the nitty-gritty, uh, his career highlights include uh, NWA Midwest Tag Team Champion with Marek Brave, and he even made a brief appearance in TNA, where he teamed with Jeff Luxon in a losing effort to LAX. Uh, so that's sort of his uh, initial wrestling roots out the way. But let's talk about Tyler Black in Ring of Honor. Now, he debuted in September 2007, along with Jimmy Jacobs in Necro Butcher, uh, as the stable, the age of fo- age of the fall, 
uh, at the Ring of Honor pay-per-view Man Up, where they attacked the Briscoes, hanging Jay Briscoe from the rigging with a noose. Uh, quite a controversial start, if I do say so, Stephen, given that this footage was removed uh, from pay-per-view due to the controversial nature of the angle. Like, do you think there's any, like, when, when superstars tend to make entrances, what do you think of them going for such a controversial angle straight away? It's, it's bold, and I think it's, on a different, it's slightly different though. If you look on hindsight, back 14 years, a stable of Rollins, Jimmy Jacobs, and the Necro Butcher. Such a weird thing to look back on. I mean, Rollins is a, we know him as a technical profession, they call him the architect. Necro Butcher is, uh, is aged terrible, this is the best way to put it. It's, it's just completely chalk and cheese, but no, it's a, uh, I remember the angle because I was um, I I I I I seen a lot about the Tyler Black when the WWE sign was announced. To be obviously now known as Rollins, and it was a it's it's a major angle. It was some way for them to come in, and you know the the, the Briscoes. I mean, it's like they're a controversial duo themselves, the Briscoes. So to be involved in such a controversial angle, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, but it's, it's it's a present to be fair if. Uh, if ECW cut an angle where they crucify the Sandman, you know, Ring of Honor are going to cut an angle where they hang one of the Briscoes. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird because this was a few years after the Attitude Era. And go, obviously, you know, we've seen a lot of controversial debuts throughout the years because just a few years after this, you know, we'd see the 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 arrival of the Nexus where they destroyed everything at ringside. And then we had the not so... Uh, well-remembered debut of Retribution where they caused carnage in and outside the ring. Like, don't know if you remember them or not, but how do you think yeah. an angle like this, you know, at- not only attacking another stable, but, you know, resorting to hanging angles, you know, we've seen it with Big Boss Man and, you know, as Stephen mentioned, you know, the crucifying angles and stuff. How do you think, you'd, would you not expect this to be as well-received as it did back then? I, I like it all. I've never really understood the problem with it. Like, for one, right, imagine you're watching any other TV show and there was a hanging. Like, the amount of things there have been a hanging in Game of Thrones, like, you probably wouldn't be able to count that with both hands. You know what I mean? But for some reason, wrestling's held to a, a different regard than any other form of entertainment, and I don't, I don't understand it. And for two, you're talking about an independent wrestling promotion. Now, we're used to the sports entertainment brand of WWE um, and the sort of more, they have, like, corporate you know, people they have to appease, but it's violent and it's inherently simulated violence, you know? So I'd, I've never really understood the whole idea of, oh, this was too violent to be aired or this was the step too far, because as long as it's done safely and it's done in a way that the performer is protected, then I think it's very effective. If I was in the crowd and this how these guys made their debut, if I saw something similar to this, I'd be like, right, I'm standing up, I'm taking notice. But instead, like you said, Dave, you get retribution you know, attacking a, a wee crappy truck, you know? <laughs> you don't really care. But if they hung someone, you know, if they took Michael Cole by the scruff of the neck and was like, here you go, son, I'd be like, maybe we're onto something that's, with these guys, you know what I mean? I said Bailey's going to come back. She's just going to attack Michael Cole randomly and smack down just on the scruff of the neck. Just yeah, drag him in the crowd. She's going to hang him on live television. <laughs> with his own tie, probably. <laughs> just sneak <laughs> just, up from behind him. I scream at him, Sasha's not your friend, Cole. <laughs> Sasha's not your friend. It's not boss time. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's let's move past the, the controversial angle and let's talk about his success in Ring of Honor. Uh, he's a two-time Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champion, twice uh, with Jimmy Jacobs. Uh, but let's uh, 
let's talk about his run to the Ring of Honor World Championship. Now, he won the 2009 Survival of the Fittest Tournament, defeating competitors such as uh, Claudio Castagnoli, Colt Cabana, Delirious, Chris Hero, Roderick Strong, all like all names, you know, we're familiar with, you know, in NXT and uh, some cases, you know, Raw and SmackDown as well. So it's pretty crazy to think, you know, all these guys, all these names that have come up, Stephen, you know, we'd actually see later on in WWE and how much talent they had all the way back then. Yeah, I think a lot of people would define this as a, a bit of a golden age of Ring of Honor, some of the talent that they would have at that point. I mean, David, you've rightfully highlighted his uh, run to win that Survival of the Fittest tournament, but some of the matches he was having previously, uh, when he was tag teaming with Jacobs, he had matches teaming with the likes of uh, taking on Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens and El Generico, who's apparently Sami Zayn. I don't... Have, you, have you ever seen them in the, in the same place? We've not seen them in the same place, you know, so they could be anybody, you know, and uh, he had that... Previously, before he had this run, he had a shot for the world title in a Fatal 4-Way match with him. Uh, I can't pronounce his name, Castanier, but Cesaro. I can't, uh, yeah, I Cesaro, yeah, it's Cesaro, yeah. Cesaro, Daniel Bryan, Nigel McGuinness in a Fatal 4-Way. Now, that is a, that's a match, you know, that's that, a that's phenomenal That's an indie fan's dream. Yeah. Yes, so... Yeah, it's no surprise to see him have some absolute baggers at this particular point. And it is obviously understandable that within a year of this survival, this fitness tournament, he would be in WWE, albeit initially in the development yeah. uh, territory. Uh, and go his uh, his Ring of Honor World Title opportunity. He took on Austin Aries in a sixty minute Iron Man match, which actually went to a draw. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the second time, you know, we got his second match against Aries that he was actually able to win the Ring of Honor World Championship. So I don't know what you make of you know sixty minute Iron Man matches going to a draw. You know, we've seen it before with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart at WrestleMania twelve, but going to a draw after such a, a grueling battle. Do you think that was the right booking decision? Just um, for particularly for a guy like Seth Rollins, who you know he's a he's an Iron Man in his own right. We've seen him do lengthy matches, but did you really expect this match to go to a draw, or do you think it was just for the purpose of long term storytelling? I think in general it's a really smart storytelling tool, um, because if you're trying to build someone up, like clearly at this point Black was someone who they invested a lot of time in trying to build up as the champion, as the guy. Now you don't want to make that final battle too easy. There's always that bit, you see any movie, there's always that bit right before they beat the bad guy where it looks as though they can't do it. They have that moment of doubt. And like you say, Dave, to have a 60-minute Ironman match, which is one of like is one of the most grueling matches anyone can go through in, in wrestling, not just to watch, but like for the performers in the ring outside of kayfabe, it's extremely, extremely tiring having to go for an hour. I think what that does going to a draw there is it shows, hey, this is a really strong champion you have. This is not going to be an easy feat, but this is a guy who could beat him. This is a guy who hangs with him all the way. So to go to the draw and then to do the match later down the line, that just builds up the suspense and it kind of gives you it tells you what's going to happen next. You know that he's going to win that next match, but it also makes it even more satisfying when the time comes. You know, and I like, we've seen it recently. It was the Fatal 4-Way um, Ironman match in NXT. They went to a draw and we had to have a rematch the next week. And I, the people were raging about that. Mm. Um, but I, from my taste and for me personally, I like that storytelling. I love it. It's an Ironman match for a reason. And when the time runs out, the time runs out. And sometimes you've got to call an audible after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he went on to defend the title against his former partner Jimmy Jacobs in a steel cage match at Violent Tendencies. Uh, he even um, 
even faced Nigel McGuinness at one point, which ended in a time limit draw. So he's had a, a fair few notable matches against some very credible talent. But I want to talk about uh, his sort of his sort of departure from Ring of Honor now, because you know, there's, there's still a lot to talk about, you know, with his time in FCW, NXT, and of course his main roster run in WWE. So he actually ended up turning heel towards the end of his tenure uh, because he was often seen as a bit of a, a face character when he was um, Ring of Honor World Champion. Uh, and it ended when he broke the news that he had signed a developmental contract with WWE. He actually threatened to take the Ring of Honor World Championship with him to WWE and refused it to put uh, put it on the line against Davey Richards. Now, Stephen, we've seen this sort of rebellious, uh, rebellious character, you know, he say, oh, I'm I'm going to win this title and I'm going to take it somewhere else. Almost, again, it sort of draws back to CM Punk, you know, when he cut the pipe bomb promo and he said he'll win the WWE title and he'll go take it to other promotions. Like, do you see the sort of similarities between, you know, this was 2009 and the pipe bomb only came a couple of years later. Do you see the, the similarities there? Well, Dave, it's actually interesting that you mentioned Punk because four years earlier, CM Punk did a very similar angle when he was leaving Ring of Honor. He also defeated Austin Aries to win the title. And then he said, I'm I'm leaving to go with WWE, I'm going to take the belt with me. So Rollins pretty much had an identical way of going about it. Only kind of the, the difference really was that Rollins had had the belt for a while before he did the thing, while Punk wins the belt and then does the angle. So it's a bit different. Uh, both lose to very different wrestlers actually as well. Uh, Rollins loses to Roderick Strong and um, Punk loses to James Gibson, I believe, who better known to us as Jamie Noble. Mm -hmm. in Ring of Honor, so oh, uh, yeah, oh, Jamie, Jamie Noble is a fantastic Ring of Honor, he does not get the credit he deserves in WWE, but yeah, that very, I thought when they first, when, when I first saw Rollins when he came into WWE, NXT, FCW, very much similarities to DM Punk, there's actually a match just be, just when Punk turns heel, uh, when he's got the when he's in the long world title reign, when he goes to NXT and he has like a dark, I think it's like a dark match match, a tag team match, it's him and Rollins taking on the team of Cesaro and Chris Hero, better known as the Kings of Wrestling. Kings of Wrestling, know, yeah. A match that deserves a big stage, let alone a random dark match. And very early NXT, this is when NXT's just starting out. So, yeah. yeah, I always thought there was a lot of similarities to Punk and Rollins in the time, and it's a shame that, really, Punk was not there in WWE at the point where Rollins was hitting his height, because obviously Punk lives in 2014, mm -hmm. Rollins is still part of the shield establishing himself, so mm -hmm. it would be nice to have seen them both going in there at their peaks. And go in hindsight, you know, Stephen mentioned it was Roderick Strong that ended up beating uh, Tyler Black for the Ring of Honor World title. Like, in, in hindsight, do you see that sort of puts guys like, you know, Roderick Strong, Cesaro, Colt Cabana, and even Chris Hero as well on the same sort of level as Seth Rollins, Tyler Black? Well, Stephen alluded to it earlier about the golden age of, of Ring of Honor, and you are right, Dave, it does put them in that level. You've got an abundance of talent in Ring of Honor at this time, um, but that's what plays into the storyline. Fans hated the fact that these wrestlers wanted to go to WWE, because at this point in time, I think there's an alternative reality where Ring of Honor really could have pushed on with the talent they had. If they had been more ambitious, had bigger plans, tried to expand, they could have been AEW before AEW was AEW. You know what I mean? But they didn't. And it, it plays into this fact of Rollins leaving, does this story very similar to the Summer of Punk, as Stephen said, but you have all these guys who are ready to carry it on. Ring of Honor didn't run into trouble after uh, Tyler Black left, but it was indicative of the thing that would lead to its downfall. All these guys getting plucked up, especially with the 
as we see NXT bubbling up around the time that Black uh, goes over to the to the corporation. All those guys getting plucked out of Ring of Honor leaves it without that star power. The names you mentioned, there's a reason they're familiar, and it's because they eventually found their way to WWE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and speaking of moving to WWE, you know, obviously we talked about him revealing that he'd signed a developmental contract with WWE, and he was signed to the developmental territory known as FCW, which would then be branded as uh, as NXT. Now, before appearing on FCW, he actually did have a dark match uh, on the SmackDown taping uh, in 2010, where he defeated AEW's own Trent Barretta. Trent? Uh, Yep, Trent. (laughs) And... But for when he made his first FCW match, he actually ended up losing to the man known as Michael McGillicuddy, a.k.a. Curtis Axel, a.k.a. Mr. Perfect Junior, Joe Henning. So, um, again, it, it goes back to hindsight. You know, you look how far, like, the position Curtis Axel was put in in WWE and look where Seth Rollins is now. Uh, and this is also where he debuted the name Seth Rollins as well. You know, Tyler Black was, was dead in the water by that point. Uh, but I wanted to talk about... Uh, one thing in particular about his FCW run, Stephen, because uh, he won the inaugural FCW Jack Briscoe 15 tournament to become the FCW 15 champion, where he defeated Hunico, Richie Steamboat, and of course, everyone's favorite, yours and mine, Jinder Mahal. Uh, and it was a title that was contested in 15-minute Ironman matches. So it kind of ties in, you know, with you know Rollins being a very much a, an endurance sort of guy. So do you think he was the best fit to become the inaugural FCW 15 champion? It was a fantastic fit. If you kind of look at that inaugural FCW NXT roster, there's a lot of talented guys that are still kind of floating about the bubble today. Um, obviously, I'm not talking about Jinder Mahal, but uh, there's a Big E was about at this particular time as well. Uh, Richie Steamboat could have been a great, a big star, but he unfortunately gets injured very early on in his career, has to retire in his mid twenties. Uh, but Rollins was a great fit, and I don't know how much you actually watched seen of this type of FCW stuff, David. But they had a, it was they put a lot of it on YouTube. And I think a lot of it is still there to free access. But there's some fantastic stuff in there. It's like really, really small indie type. It's mm-hmm. it really has early day kind of NXT feel with a much smaller crowd. I like full scale NXT, yeah. Yeah, so there's some absolutely brilliant stuff in it. I mean, we'll probably, you will maybe mention it, but he's a uh, feud with Dean Ambrose, you know, mm-hmm. the, before they had the feud on the main roster. I mean, the main roster, the first main roster feud was pretty good, depending on how you feel about the Ambrose stuff, but the later feud, not so much. The feud they have in FCW does not get talked about because it's not on the same stage, but it's, they pull out some absolute bangers. They have a 2-2 draw and a 30-minute uh, Ironman match. It has to go to sudden death. It's Rollins eventually wins 3-2. My early exposure to Dean Ambrose at that particular time, other than when he randomly cuts a, he has a match with CM Punk in an indie show, he cuts a promo on Punk and Punk comes out. Uh, and so, it's a great sign of what the two of them could do. And it's uh, pretty much if you want to see how they kind of thought about NXT, FCW in 2011 is your breathing ground for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And go, Stephen obviously mentioned the the feud with Ambrose. You know, he went to two uh, draws in 15 and 20 minute Ironman matches, and it only it took a 30 minute Ironman match that went to sudden death to fi- to finally end their feud over the FCW 15 Championship. But just to put mm-hmm. into perspective how unique this championship was, only four people have ever held that championship. One of course being Rollins. He then lost it to Damian Sandow, who lost it to Richie Steamboat. And then the last person to ever hold it was none other than Brad Maddox. Uh, so 
What do you think? Do you think a, a championship like the FCW 15 championship could have worked in like a sort of main roster promotion? Or do you think this was a unique selling point for like a, a sort of low key independent promotion? Ah, it's hard to say because I'll, I'd never heard of this championship before you brought it up. But from what you've mentioned, I love the concept of it because it's something different because we moan about mid card titles, right? And having too many of them, especially in WWE. But I think the reason for that is sometimes there's not really a re an excuse for them to exist. Sometimes they're just there for the point of existing, but a title like this, it's like, okay, this is geared towards endurance. This is what you need to win this championship. These are the unique match types that you need to compete in for it. So I love it. I think it's something that could be incorporated um, and maybe in the NXT brand. You it know was, what I mean? It was very much a workhorse title in that. Yeah. Kind of, in that but, uh, so if you kind of look, obviously they had the heavyweight title in uh, FCW as well, but the guys that were holding that, we had Jack Swagger, Sheamus, Drew McIntyre, blooming, I think Chief Slater holds it at one point, Justin right. Gabriel holds it at one point, Mason Ryan is the longest ever FCW heavyweight champion, so that kind yeah, of gives you an idea. Mason Ryan who now works in Cirque du Soleil. Exactly, with Reggie, I wonder if they're a partner at that point. Um, you've got to look at it like this I, I think to answer your question yes Dave I think it worked and particularly in NXT I think the North American title belt looks great but I don't think it has a reason to exist apart from Triple H wanted to give you know some guys who weren't in the world title picture a reason to fight I think if you replace that with a championship like this with Ironman rules that's a selling point uh, and that's something that would really work to what we've seen over the past couple of years being the wrestling heavy feature of the NXT brand that looks like it might come to an end. Rest in peace, Hunter Hearst Hemsley's NXT. Uh, way down the mood, like, <laughs> with that one. I, think, <laughs> I just hope it doesn't go back to, like, you know, game show version NXT, because, you know, oh, like, that's the last man. thing. Oh, they, should, they, should, they should bring back some of these guys that have held the FCW title. Eric Escobar. Oh, <laughs> Eric Escobar, I mind him. The, the I can't wait for Vince McMahon's show Ross to defend the decision on Central, saying, aye, big guys, etc. Oh, I can hear it already, man. I can hear it already. Uh, but you know what? Since we were on the subject of the game show format of NXT, remember how Seth Rollins was actually a part of the, the, the lost NXT Season 6, where he was actually meant to debut along with guys like Hunuko, Richie Steamboat, Jinder Mahal, Leo Kruger, and I think there was one other, uh, Damien Sandow, that's who it was, thank yes. Thank you as well. Oh, thank you too, yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, forget the yeah. big man slapping. Oh, I can't forget that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they were they were meant to debut NXT's lost game show season, but the fifth season just went on forever, and then that's when FCW was disbanded, and then it became what we know today as the Full Sail NXT and that's where sort of Rollins really sort of came into his own, where they crowned, where he became the first ever NXT champion by winning the Gold Rush tournament and defeating Jinder Mahal in the finals. So it's like these guys have not had, it's not like these guys are, you know, facing each other for the first time. These are all guys from FCW and they've just been moved over to a bigger stage. But Stephen, it, I think it just goes to show how much faith they had in Seth Rollins to sort of head up you know, well, at the time it was their developmental brand, but it was slowly starting to gain traction when they finally found, you know, they finally crowned him as the main champion. Like, how much, uh, how much did that elevate his stock? Do you reckon? Yeah, I think it was a great move because, as you mentioned, David, the lost the not the lost season, the season five of NXT, it was going nowhere. I mean, see if you look at the actual brand of pros, rookies, and the guys who appeared regularly on the show, only two are still employed with WWE. One of them is Titus O'Neil. 
who mm. it just it just kind of appears randomly these days. Times they use Titus as a nail for the PR stuff. Let's be brutally honest. He's good, good at that. He's great. He is, he's great at that. Does that job right? The other one is, he's won like humanitarian awards as well. You know, he's yeah. he's doing well. Yeah, he does. The other one is Byron Saxton. So there you go. <laughs> he doesn't even wrestle anymore. He just he's, he's commentating. But uh, yeah, they needed somebody as a focal point of that division. And you've seen a lot of those guys that were in that lost season, David, who were really early on at that particular point. Uh, Rollins, for example, Leo Kruger, Richie Steamboat, all very early on. And they, they that early kind of as well, they kind of incorporated a lot of the guys from the lower card of WWE at that particular point. Uh, Drew McIntyre, your favourite Jinder Mahal as well, David. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Gabriel came down and he was he was quite a regular there at one point. So something that we did see when NXT went a bit more mainstream, we got the likes of Ty- the Tyson Kidd coming down and that as well. So it was a good way they kind of mixed it, but they had to have that focal leader at that particular point. Roman Reigns was floating about down there. He didn't really do much in NXT, Roman, to be fair. Neither did Dean Ambrose as well. He, went, he kind of skipped NXT. Uh, just went from FCW, but Rollins was a great kind of character in there. But as a wrestler, he was great. I felt like he was still trying to develop his character. He just came out and just banged his head, like head banging with the music. He would go absolutely nuts at the stage. Hadn't really. I think it was that point. It was like he knew what he. They knew he was a good wrestler, but I don't think he kind of. It took him a couple of years to get a character for the WWE style. I think. I, and go, uh, Stephen brings up a good point. You know, I think everybody was aware of what he could achieve in the ring. But do you think uh, having that sort of rock, heavy metal, you know, he's sort of touching on a lot of what we said earlier, what his personality was about. Like, and I think NXT hit the right note when they sort of brought, you know, that heavy metal sort of mosher personality about him. But it just needed a bit of fine tuning to really sort of captivate the audience. Do you think they did uh, a decent job of it? No, I think the gimmick at that time was about as entertaining as a shite after assaulting chili Chinese the night before. Um, I, oh. Like honest, honestly, I just think it was the most Ouch. it was the most generic thing of all time. Like it's basically wrestler number five when you're on the SmackDown versus Raw game. You know what I mean? Like that's that's all it was. Uh, so he really needed a character. The one thing they had on his side is that Seth Rollins is a Paul Levesque guy and always has been. He is Paul Levesque's vision for what wrestling should be and for what a main event star in WWE should look like. And you look at the talent he was trusted to go over in that Gold Rush tournament. I mean, when you're beating someone who, in the grand scheme of things, it became more important than Emmeline Pankhurst and Jinder Mahal, you know, that that's something to behold when you're beating a man of that caliber in the final. So we'll <laughs> see, see how things go. Uh, well, talking of a, a character shift, I mean, we certainly got one of the best uh, character factions that WWE's produced in a long time. Almost immediately from his NXT run, he moves up to the main roster at Survivor Series 2012, where he debuts alongside Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns collectively as The Shield. Now, we have spoken about The Shield uh, in past shows before, including most recently our uh, best stables of the 21st century, where uh, we go into detail about them in particular. But I want to talk about Rollins' role in the Shield itself, Stephen. Now, obviously, the Shield's uh, first match was at TLC that year, where they competed in a six-man tag team tables, ladders, and chairs match against Ryback and Team Hell No. And it really sort of stood out, you know, each member of the Shield had their own individual role, with Rollins in particular being the somewhat the, the high-flying architect who just knew how to put everything together. Do you think that was? Do you think that shone through in such a wild, chaotic match, such as a tables, ladders, and chairs match? Oh, the spot he takes at the end, where Ryback pretty nearly kills him. It's oh, yeah. A great example of it on its own, where he 
whacks his head off the table, something awful. Uh, I was I was surprised initially that they went with him in the shield because he was you know, they had him as his baby face in NXT, as David mentioned, he was very generic in that particular role. To shift him to the heel was a bit of a a surprising one, especially the fact as well he came up when he, he was still NXT champion when he came up. They actually had the shield on NXT when he was the champion. And it, there's the, a great episode of NXT very early days where Big E beats him for the title and pretty much the entire NXT roster chase off Roman and Dean Ambrose to stop uh, them interfering for this match. It's a great moment, a great counting moment for Big E. You know, I think Big E should bring back the five count, but that's for a Big E show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, Shield is, I've mentioned it in a lot of shows, uh, Shield are up there as one of my favourite ever stables and I think it helps. It's just the way they bring them in. And Rollins was the guy that helped clip them to get on the ring because you had Ambrose. Ambrose hot as anything on the mic. We see that now, even when he was in WWE, when he's not as good on the mic as he is in AEW or New Japan as Moxley. Mm-hmm. But and then you had Roman, who was kind of the presence, uh, still obviously wasn't as complete in the ring as he is now. He's arguably one of the most complete wrestlers in WWE, the complete most complete wrestler in WWE. But they needed somebody to kind of tell the story in the ring. And that was the natural thing with Ambrose as the architect. Because I, he, he still did a lot of those high-flying moves. It was because you kind of see when heels, when wrestlers turn heel, they kind of tone it down a wee bit. Uh, Pac Neville's a great example. He toned down his high-flying still substantially when he turned heel. But Rollins still had the same go attitude initially when he was in the shoot, mm-hmm. uh, which I think helped, uh, you know, attract him to the fans, I think, in a way, as a singles wrestler to the point that what we'll talk about what he does later on a couple of years later was so shocking mm-hmm. yeah and go we don't often you know go into much detail about the 2013 run you know with the shield because it was mm. basically you know perfect storytelling you know they went undefeated for about six months straight he rollins wins the tag team championships with roman reigns uh, extreme rules that year they have the feud yeah. with the the rhodes family as well and they almost act like mercenaries uh they act like mercenaries for the authority, essentially, during that time period. Do you think that sort of elevated them to a point where they were, not only they were all holding championships at that point, but do you think that sort of elevated them to sort of main event level status rather than, you know, just a couple of guys who would tend to get lost in the, the upper mid card or just the being relegated to the tag team division? No, 100%. It was a perfect storm. I think The Shield was the last most effective way that WWE's actually made genuine main event performers. Like, it was, it was a, like I say, it's a perfect storm. I heard Steven have the same reaction there uh, when the Rhodes Brothers feud was mentioned when you were saying That's that, Dave. Like, such so a great good. tag team. Such a great tag team match. So underappreciated. Yeah, so, very uh, underrated yeah. match. Even that whole story, because they were, like you say, the sort of puppets of the authority. But there was this air about them that meant they retained this independence, even from punk, even from the authority. There was this whole thing that they were respected. They weren't lackeys in the style of uh, Briscoe uh, and Patterson, uh, to put it that way, you know. But also with Stephen saying there about, you worry at first about Rollins getting lost in the shuffle. Because we've seen the Nexus years before, and Justin Gabriel was their guy who was impressive in the ring doing all the flips, finishing people off with that uh, move off the top rope. But he couldn't cut a promo and he couldn't get his character across. What worked for The Shield was that they were the perfect storm on the mic. And it was Rollins as the voice of reason in there that was needed uh, alongside Ambrose and Reigns. You know, and that's... 
you set the seeds there for what's to come with the story because it's very clear from the offset what's Seth Rollins role in the shield oh he's the architect he's the smart one and while he can do all the flippy shit that's his true role that's his true meaning for being in that faction yeah and obviously you know once 2013 come ago they start to drift away from the authority a bit and you know they go into feuds with the Wyatt family you know a very underrated match from Elimination Chamber 2014 but they start to show cracks in the system you know sort of you know around the sort of Royal Rumble time uh and weirdly I think Rollins is always sort of playing the the peacekeeper here because Ambrose obviously being the lunatic that he was going off at Roman Reigns you know for eliminating him and stuff but do you think in hindsight, Stephen, do you think it's weird to see Rollins act like a peacemaker when, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing when you see Rollins was actually the one to stab both of them in the back at one point? Well, they, they kind of alluded to it, I think, in one episode of Raw where they had the rematch for the Wyatt family and Rollins kind of walks away from things. Talking about the Wyatt family match, I mean, obviously you've mentioned it probably in those other shows. It's up there as one of my top five all time. The Wyatt family, Stuart Elimination Chamber match is so good. That's one of the matches, you know, everybody... Everybody has a match they watch when they're not, when they're, something they watch when they're not feeling well, be it a movie or a TV show. <laughs> See if I watch wrestling, I'm not feeling well. It's always the one I go back, one of the ones I go back and watch because it's absolutely amazing. But uh, that's talk, that's more about the shield. We've talked to them a lot. Uh, it's it is weird when you, in hindsight, because you kind of look. Obviously, they, they were piecing the, the bits together for the Ambrose turn. Everybody thought it was going to be Ambrose. They're going to go Ambrose because nobody fought Roman because at this particular point Roman was getting pushed as the guy he was coming off that Royal Rumble moment. There was also the lesser talked about moment at the Survivor Series the year before when he pretty much wipes out the competition including Rey Mysterio at the end. There's a great picture of uh, Reigns over a prone uh, Rey Mysterio after spearing him. So all the bits were there but they didn't. There was the one point just before they turned face going into WrestleMania that they had they did have the small stuff for Rollins but even then we see when they cleared it up and they went to that match at WrestleMania then later at the, the feud by Evolution didn't see it coming which made it even better because in the age of the internet we talk about everything's teased we kind of see things if the day when when if the day comes that Punk and Brian do show up in AEW we're going to love it but at the same time we're not going to be surprised but that was a surprise that mm. was the moment we're going to talk about it is a genuine surprise. Yes. It takes you so much by a shock, which I'll talk about more detail later of why it's the hops. <laughs> yeah, I can see you getting your getting all at a I can talk there. About, I'll talk, I can talk about that moment forever. Oh, you know what? Let's <laughs> talk about it now. You know, you've you've brought the conversation up, and I'll start with Goat first because I know you, Stephen, you want to get your tea stuck into this. Uh, Goat, let's talk about the heel turn, where Rollins. Uh, attacks both mem both other members with the steel chair and aligns himself with the authority. We've just we've discussed this before on a past show that this is one of the most despicable heel turns that we've seen in WWE history. I think it's for Steven, I think it's only second to the Austin heel turn at Mania 17, but uh, you know, I think that's uh, that goes without saying. What was your initial response to the Rollins heel turn? Initial response um is probably why have they done this now? hindsight being 2020 i will 100 percent hold my hands up and say it was the perfect time because seth rollins strength came after this the shield was good for what it was it built these three up as the shield the shield is a main event act yes but all three of them are main event acts now in their own right and it was time for them to go off and do their stuff and every member of the shield came out of that turn 
looking fantastic and with a clear aim, a clear goal, and clear stories going forward. The moment itself is brilliant. They're like just the step back from Rollins, the chair to Reigns, and the real start of the moment is Dean Ambrose. Man, that look of shock. And you see the <laughs> lunatic. You know, he's a lunatic, he's unhinged, but his brother has just betrayed him at the same time. And mm-hmm. he can't quite believe it. He can't believe it. And it's something that was referenced years go by, you know, shield storylines, they're all fighting each other. That always went back to that moment. And the reason it always went back to that moment is simple. It's one of the best heel turns in the history of wrestling. And I'll fight anyone else on that, man. It's, it's perfect. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, obviously Ambo's reaction. I think we've talked about before that. Have you seen that? Well, obviously, go. You're uh, very much into TV and films and stuff. Do you remember that scene mm-hmm. from The Simpsons uh, where Bart, you know, replays the the clip with her and Ralph, and he's like, "Watch this, Lisa. You can pinpoint the second where Bart ripped in half." <laughs> yeah, like 100%, somebody, yeah. somebody on YouTube has put the Ambrose uh, Ambrose's reaction to that clip and it works brilliantly. Do you know what I want to see, Dave? I wonder if the, do you know those Heart, Heart Will Go On videos that showed up in Twitter? I really want Heart Will Go On <laughs> set to that? this, man. Oh, I really want that. Yes. That would be fantastic. Oh, I'll tell you what. Tell that you what, would be so good. If it doesn't exist, I dare you to create something like oh, that. I'm not seeing it. I've not seen a Heart Will Go On video since Simone Zaza hit that penalty over the bar for that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's amazing, Steven, man. Now, Stephen, obviously you you felt this uh, this betrayal, you know, like you know, as badly as as I mentioned the Austin WrestleMania 17 turn. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds to give your god honest opinion about how you responded to this, and your time starts now. I woke up on Tuesday morning. Checked Bleacher Report as I did every day at that particular point. Now, the first thing that comes up is Seth Rollins turns his back on the shield, and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even believe it. And uh, I was so shocked, but hindsight's 2020. David, we were uh, we went to Walkabout the night before. We did, yes. We watched we watched Payback the night before, uh, and obviously that was when they did the clean sweep of the shield. No, the, not the shield, sorry, the evolution clean sweep. And that's what made it so shocking. And I agree with David. At the time, I thought, this is a bad move. They're hot as anything. They've not really been faces for a while. They've only been really been faces since WrestleMania. None of the evolution food only really had as a match against the Outlaws, who are bumming on walking sticks at that particular point. <laughs> and that was a two-minute match at WrestleMania. Yeah, uh, Billy Gunn proved me wrong. He's still wrestling. He still looks fucking amazing. But uh, Road Dog was fucked. And so was Kane. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, hindsight 2020. Best mm. move for every party. You know? Yeah. Yeah, because... Uh, but yeah, that heel run actually... You're 30 seconds up, Steven, you're done. <laughs> I know, I was said this, 30 seconds up ages ago, you know, I think he got his, uh, his thing out of the way and we just went to another discussion, but I, I digress. Uh, but yeah, that heel turn actually was the key to shooting him to superstardom. Almost immediately wins the Money in the Bank contract and then goes into a lengthy feud with Ambrose over the summer. Uh, now, go some of the matches we have here, you know, we had the Lumberjack match at SummerSlam. There was a Falls Count Anywhere match on Raw where he did that infamous uh, stomp through the, the cinder blocks and that wrote yeah. off Ambrose for a bit. And then they ended up going all the way into a Hell in a Cell match. Like, was there any of these matches in particular that, that really stood out for you? Funnily enough, I remember watching the Lumberjack match and saying to myself, this is easily the best Lumberjack match I've ever seen. Because around that time when I was watching wrestling, the Lumberjack matches were really sort of boring affairs. 
where not much happened. Like maybe you get someone, throw someone back in and it starts a feud. And they were, used, they were used a lot in what was then the Divas division just to get as many bodies as possible on TV. But these guys were flying out. They were fighting in the crowd. Uh, they were doing all sorts, man. And I was like, they've really taken this Lumberjack concept and ran with it. I was, I loved that match. I thought it was fantastic. Um, and then I, I like their... I like their Hell in a Cell match until the ending of it, um, <laughs> which, yes. which yeah, isn't, yeah. isn't fantastic. Um, I do think it's we talk about the feud has to fit with the Hell in a Cell structure, and it's hard to do that when it's the same time every year. But they timed this one perfectly so that if you're going to have this feud come to a head, it did come to a head in the right way at Hell in a Cell. Just wish the Bray Wyatt hadn't got himself involved. Bray, and I, that's, that's Bray Wyatt fickle. and Hell in a Cell does not go well. It never went well with Hell in a Cell. Oh, we sound so fickle. It's, yeah. it's not Bray's fault. You know, we love Bray. We wish he hadn't got released, but like that was shit. Like I'm just saying, like, you know, like. You took the words right out of my mouth. Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt inside Hell in a Cell don't mix, and we will get to that. <laughs> um, but Stephen, I want to talk about the sort of midway feuds uh, between then and, you know, sort of going into the road to WrestleMania season because Survivor Series, he was captain of Team Authority, you know, very much front and centre as the Authority's sort of golden child. And then he has that outstanding triple threat match uh, with Brock Lesnar and John Cena at the 2015 Royal Rumble. Did you think there was a chance that he could have won the WWE title and held the Money in the Bank contract at the same time? Yes, I thought there was every bit of a chance for doing it. The triple threat match you mentioned, the Royal Rumble, is probably the best WWE triple threat match to happen outside of WrestleMania. 100%. It's so good. It's Brock Lesnar at his peak as well. The finish to that match is the best Brock Lesnar ever, where he literally like jumps up. He's, he's fucking, he's, he's, he's like a sprint faster than Usain Bolt, and he's fucking half that twice the size of him. <laughs> uh, some of it, the. Um, you might make you probably will mention the Orton stuff at this time I wasn't sure on, but it made sense in a way because kind of Rollins took his place as the head of the authority in terms of in ring. Uh he plays his role very well with the authority thing at Survivor Series as well. Uh him and Ziggler towards the end of that match. Okay. Very early on in his career in WWE, he's, he's making loads of guys look better than they are than they've probably been against a lot of other people. Uh, the Brock stuff he doesn't as well later on, which we'll talk about, but they are some fantastic stuff and it kind of... People talk about this kind of point, it was peak Brock, but Seth is really in there and uh, uh, another moment we will talk about later on towards the end of the show is obviously we get the teases as well of his heinous side and stuff with Edge, mm-hmm. which we're now getting into in the mm-hmm. current day. He's just... He, he's hitting every single note. Is with, plus maniacal laughing. He was the king of maniacal laughing at this yeah. particular point. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that video on YouTube. It just always maniacal laughs. That's like it's just so it's amazing. He's so he good, man. He's laugh, he laughs like a duck with a sinus infection. That's the only way I can put oh, it. It's a, perfect, it's a perfect laugh, man, to get yourself hated. It's, it really is a thing of beauty. It's so fucking good, man. Uh, so good. Right, let's talk about WrestleMania 31. Now, obviously, there were two key moments that came out of that involving Seth Rollins. One was the outstanding RKO spot where he goes for the stomp only to be thrown about 10 feet in the air and caught with the RKO on the way down. Not a good way to start the day off, but guys, the heist of the century cash-in. The first guy to cash in the Money in the Bank contract at WrestleMania during the triple threat match rather than waiting until after it. Goat, is this the best thing that WWE could have done with the Money in the Bank contract at the time. 
given that they were kind of in a lose-lose situation with the Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns match. The thing with the Money in Bank contract is we'd had guys, I believe Kennedy and Daniel Bryan had both said, oh, we're going to wait to WrestleMania. We're going to do it at WrestleMania. They eventually had to have someone do it at Mania. Like, the contract's there for any time. Why wouldn't you do it? on the biggest stage possible. You don't need to win no Rumble, don't need to win no Elimination Chamber, you just come in and you do what you really need to do. For me, WrestleMania 31 is easily one of my favourite WrestleManias of all time. It's fantastic. And the Rollins moment with Orton, my God, and I remember just sort of standing up in my room. I had a baguette with Patty at the time. I had a really nice snack <laughs> on the go, and the Patty went flying, man. I was like, whoa, what the fuck was that? It's so cool. And then at the end, you're right. The thing was, I've always said this with it. I think that Roman Reigns won the crowd that night. I don't think the reaction to Roman's title win, if it was to happen, would have been totally negative. Just because of how good that match between Brock and Roman ended up being. It was a really bloody affair. But having said that, the moment itself, it's so exciting. There's the brief moment you don't think Rollins is going to win. You think Lesnar's going to pin Rollins, you're going to get out of it, and you're going to be raging. But then he does it. He manages to get the pinfall. And it's the best work that Cole and JBL had done as an announced team uh, mm -hmm. up until, uh, at that point. Those, those two really sold that moment. And Steven was doing it there. The swing of the, the championship in the air. It's really oh, cheesy. Oh. It's despicable. It makes you hate him. But it's such a good moment. It's, it's it, amazing. It's, it's so good. I mean... I want to talk about David's WrestleMania snacks later on after the show because that's an interesting <laughs> choice. Of, I get sl I get slagged by David's favorite podcaster, Gary Kelly, for my snack selection. I think if you showed up at Gary's house for patty and baguettes, I don't know what you would do. If anything, if anything go, you're just showing yourself as the poshest person, and I'm the one living in the West End here. Mate, pie cost you like sixty p. What are you talking about? Pie, probably rubbish patty. You get patty in a baguette. You're thinking about caviar, David, probably. Uh, You're thinking oh, about maybe, foie yeah. gras, you know? But, uh, foie no. gras. Uh, <laughs> but no, Stephen, Stephen, I, I want to talk about, um, you know, because back then we actually used to watch WrestleMania uh, where I used to live. And we watched WrestleMania's 30 and 31 back-to-back uh, -back years. I remember we watched Daniel Bryan win the WWE World title at WrestleMania 30, and we were all out of our seats. We were applauding. It was just a really feel-good moment. Whereas this time around, you know, Rollins essentially completely shocked everyone with that cash in. And, you know, we were all left stunned by the end of it. How do you think this compares with, like, some WrestleMania endings that you've seen in the past? Yeah, I actually missed 31 years, David, because I just started a new job and I couldn't get the time off for it. So I watched it at Derek's on the Monday. And me, Gary and Derek had not... I avoided spoilers, apart from Derek avoided, the only thing Derek didn't avoid was Rollins holding the belt at the end of the show. So he's, oh. he's just sitting there waiting for it. He's just waiting for them. Although I don't think he's seen them I'm cashing in the triple threat, to be fair. It could have happened after the match. But it's, it is well up there in terms of moments. I think you mentioned Brian, uh, Benoit, you know, for all the bad stuff, obvious bad stuff that Benoit does. His moments still are the best at all time in WrestleMania endings. A lot of the best WrestleMania endings up till that point came at the zero manias. 10 with Bret Hart, 20 with Benoit, and then Guerrero, and 30 with Bryan. So there was a lot of the good ones were coming at that point. We didn't really see many. I mean, there was Michaels retiring at 26. That was quite a good one. So it was a bit different, and I think we've been craving for a couple of years for a, for a Mania cash in. I remember Mania 29. 
everybody was craving for Ziggler to cash in on yeah. either Del Rio or Swagger. I mean, the moment on Raw is great, but let's be brutally honest. That their two matches at WrestleMania could have done with cashing because it was shit. Yeah. Uh, so um, it's really, and I think it's the fact that they were so clever to do it in the match because it, everybody always associated the cashings after. People, a lot of people had an inkling that he might have done it based on the reactions between the, how the match was going to end. Mm-hmm. But to do it during the match, make it triple threat is genius, and it does kind of it hit it allows them an avenue to do the Lesnar feud in the summer as well and on the Raw afterwards, which works brilliantly too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to talk about his WWE title run now. You know, for the for the next two hundred twenty so days that he held it before having to forced to vacate due to an injury at a house show in Dublin. You know, it was it was the standard typical sort of heel run. You know, we had a couple of matches with Ambrose. Uh, but go, I want to talk about SummerSlam 2015. He mm. becomes the first and only man so far in WWE history to hold the WWE Championship and the United States Championship at the same time. Like, that's just sort of... Do you think that's that was a, an attempt to really sort of double down and make Seth Rollins, you know, one of the most talked about guys in WWE history? Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. He made John Stewart one of the most talked about guys in WWE history. No, I'm kidding. No, it was it was a really good moment, a really cool moment, uh, and to give him that win over Cena because you've got two really concurrent things going on at that time. You have Rollins, and you say it's a sort of typical heel run. I'd say it's more than that. I'd say it's the perfect sort of heel championship run, or one of the best freshman uh, championship runs we've ever seen. This is his first run with the world title in WWE. It was brilliant, bringing in J and J security. All the moments we had with. Yeah. Them. They're so good and they were so pivotal at the time at that time. I remember like he had interactions with the New Day as well around this time and they're like, my captain, they kept calling him their captain. And I'm like, I loved it. I loved it so much, this title run. But you also had the other side of the of the sort of roster, Cena having the, the brilliant US title run on the back of beating Rusev at WrestleMania. So it was, it had to happen. We had to have Rollins and Cena because they were the two hottest things in the company at that time. Now, again, we said it with an RCF Rollins match. Do I wish that Jon Stewart hadn't got involved? Of course I do, because it's Jon Stewart. I like The Daily Show, but he has no business getting involved in the main event of SummerSlam. Having said that, it doesn't take away from the moment for Rollins. It was well-deserved at that time. Set up really good, interesting possibilities for Night of Champions as well. Great booking decision, all in all. They got they got away with the John Stewart thing because the match didn't go on last because it was Taker Brock. Yeah, yeah that's right. It was kind of buried in a wee bit, but at the same time, you're kind of like, what? I we talk again about Gary because I know David Campbell loves talking about Gary. I remember <laughs> Gary's I remember Gary's reaction when Seth Rollins came out in the All White. <laughs> oh God! That oh my God! My eyes were burning when I first saw that outfit. What? What a costume! I, it's I, an amazing gear. What that, was the debut, that was the debut of Sexy Seth. I think the story about Schlong he came out at that particular point as well. Oh, <laughs> we said we weren't going to talk about that. That's for another show. He's he's a sexy version of the White Power Ranger. Uh, at that point, man, that's what he is, you know what I mean? I half expect him to call the Tiger Zord to try and take out John Cena, but instead he called John Stewart. So. Uh, well, we didn't get a, well, we didn't get a Tiger Zord, but we, during his reign, we actually did get uh, a Stinger, shall we say. One of only two guys in WWE to give, have a one-on-one match with Sting, and it was actually Sting's last ever yes. match. Are you WWE. sure about that, Dave? I think it's the... I think it's Are you sure? Triple H, H and Big Show on Raw. 
Did he have a match with Big Show and Raw? I'm pretty sure he had a match with Big Show and Raw that ended in DQ. Now, he, he might have done. I could kind of quickly check this one, but you talk about stingers. He did get a stinger in his match with Rods. You know? <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, he got an hey. absolute stinger. Yeah, That's but I, it's, I mean, what does that say about Rollins? You know, having to you know give him the chance to go against lit a literal icon in the form of Sting. David Campbell is right, by the way. He has a tag match with John Cena against Rollins and Big Show that they ah. win, and in the same show he had the DQ win over the Big Show. Well, so, so, he's technically had, so he's technically had four matches in WWE. Yeah. Technically had four, but only two of them are on pay-per-view. The longest was the match at WrestleMania 31 Triple H. It lasted 18 minutes and 40 seconds. But if you want to find out more, listen back to our Sting show on the back catalog. <laughs> Which eventually becomes a 10-man tag. But, but you're you're right, Dave, to get back on course with the Sting thing. I remember that reveal. You know, we're meant to have the Seth Rollins statue. And they had we'd seen the statues from the, the WWE HQ at this time. I remember they were sort of highlighting them a wee bit. Like, and more we'd seen them in programming hall of fame and uh, all of that jazz so you're like they could do this like he is their champion really good heel champion it could be a fun move face of the company and then all of a sudden sting just comes out and the only thing we're missing is big tony on commentary at that moment all you want to hear is it's darby allen was probably in the crowd a young darby allen at a particular point going it's my guy <laughs> that's my dad uh, that's unfor unfortunately because of the sting match though um people started to criticize rollins's move set you know the stomp you know seemed quite a bit of a, a dangerous move given that it could physically crush somebody's neck and then the it was the buckle bomb that did it for sting in particular and mm -hmm. it as a result you know that sort of resulted in rollins having to switch up his move set but he wouldn't get the chance to see it that we wouldn't get the chance to see this new set because obviously and to vacate the title at 220 days due to an ACL, MCL and meniscus injury forced at a live show on the European tour. Uh, but before we go back to his stage of redesigning, rebuilding and reclaiming, I'm just going to run through some interaction from the community from the community page we've had for this show. Uh, thank you to everybody who's commented so far. So we asked them, you know, what are some of fav Rollins' favourite moments and matches from his career? Uh, Sarah Greaves says Mania 33 when Seth dethroned Triple H. We'll get to that at one point. Uh, Ryan Dalgleish says the cash in at Mania. I think that goes without saying. Robert Shaw says turning Robert on the Robert fucking Shaw. <laughs> yeah, what does he have to say? The man about the legend. Best tag team partner a draft guy could want. Uh, but yeah, he <laughs> says the turning on the sheep. Still the best partner even though we didn't win, so shut your face. Uh, turning on the shield and starting his main event push has to be up there. His breakout from the shield, definitely. And then Jack Graham says the Messiah gimmick in its entirety has been a career highlight for him. Uh, and again, we will get to that. And just to run a few other statistics for you around this time, uh, he's actually won multiple uh, awards from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, where he went down as uh, 2015's Most Hated Wrestler of the Year. He also got Wrestler of the Year 2015, and he was ranked number one in the top 500 singles wrestlers in the PWI 500 2015. So, you know, even though he was booked as a conniving heel, there's no denying he was one of the best talents uh, on the roster at the time. You know, winning the WWE title, winning the United States title at the same time. You know, all of these, you know, just bump them, bump them up the up the rankings there. Uh, so, let's move now on to his uh, redesign, rebuild, and reclaim angle, where he returns from injury to attack Roman Reigns, and he gets the title match of Money in the Bank, famously the night where the, all the three Shield members uh, won the the WWE title. But Stephen, I want to talk about some feedback that we got from critics and analysis analysts 
uh, following Rollins' return, saying that WWE should capitalize on uh, a Rollins face turn, given that, you know, Roman Reigns was receiving such a negative reaction uh, from the crowd at the time. And some of them were describing it as leaving money on the table. So what's your reaction to, you know, Rollins possibly missing out on a face turn at that point? Yeah, because I think they do do it, but obviously it comes about three months or so later. So they maybe missed the boat slightly on it, because I think, but at the same time, given what they did that night in Money in the Bank, it makes sense. Because if they'd done the turn with Rollins, the cash in from Ambrose does not get the same effect. Mm. So I think if the plan was not for Ambrose to cash in, 100% do the double turn, and it works. Mm. They maybe could have still done it, but I don't think Ambrose gets the same reaction. And, yeah. and, and what, Rollins' face turn would then be squished. So I think to do it later on, in hindsight, is probably the best move, but given it, what the plans were. And then obviously go, the draft happens, uh, Ambrose goes to SmackDown, Rollins is the number one pick for Raw in 2016, and he gets put into the inaugural Universal title match against Finn Balor, only to get a rematch the immediate night following uh, Balor's shoulder injury and subsequent vacancy. Mm. Now, from that point on, you know, that's when Triple H turns on Rollins, it costs him the Universal title against Kevin Owens. And we sort of start to see a bit of a, a love-hate relationship with between him and Stephanie McMahon. And we see this sort of gradual turn into a, into a face character as he feuds down the line with Kevin Owens and, and Chris Jericho. Yeah. Uh, we, saw, we also saw glimpses of that at Raw Glasgow. I don't know if you were there live or you saw it on the telly, but um, what did you make of this sort of slow progression into a face turn? Did this just feel more natural? Yeah, I loved it, because like Stephen said, there's a bunch of problems that are raised by doing it right off the bat when he comes back. You know, especially, th it wouldn't have made sense, there was no motivation for that character to come turn face. He had it too comfy in the authority, he thought he could just come back and slip into the ways, you know, he's protected. Um, but WWE, as we've said before, they make the most out of bad situations, and obviously it was a really bad situation having Finn go down with that injury after SummerSlam, but that was a really exciting Fatal 4-Way. No one saw the Triple H interference coming. Not only did they crown Kevin Owens as world champion, which is something that all of us were, were clamouring for, because KO's fantastic, he's brilliant, but also, you know, clearly set up for that moment, oh, we're doing Triple H versus Seth Rollins which at that time was a bit of a dream match in itself. You know, it's Frankenstein versus Frankenstein's monster. It's the creator versus the thing that he helped to create in the first place. And the best moment from the feud is I remember watching TakeOver and it gets to between matches. I'm looking through my phone and you just hear, I just hear Rollins' voice coming from the TV. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, nice what's going on? It's fantastic, man. They don't do enough like that. Uh, because like you said, Stephen, it's hard to get genuine surprises in wrestling. It's just amazing that so many of them have come from Rollins because not only the shield turn, then his return wasn't really advertised yeah. either. And then we get the takeover moment as well. Like Seth Rollins is the, the surprise man. It's brilliant. What, what, what a great thing of that takeover moment, David, is the fact that up until that point, Triple H on NXT is still portrayed as the guy, the leader, the man. The, yeah. He gets the big baby face pops when he comes out with the start of Brooklyn. Never really referenced his heel character, even though the full time of NXT to that point, he was a heel on the main roster. Yeah. So to kind of have that reference, and it's. We, we sometimes accuse WWE 
rightfully so, of insulting the fans' intelligence. Yeah. Having him show up at TakeOver is makes sense. Because Triple H is always there. Yeah, always there. No one else has ever done it. That's when you find him. Oh, Triple H, where are you? Come show up. Go to go to full sale. He's there. (laughs) He's there. You know he is. (laughs) Yep. Great. Yep. And as Sarah mentioned, the unsanctioned match with Triple H at WrestleMania got the match almost very nearly didn't happen though, given that you know Samoa Joe got the call up and. Rollins ended up aggravating his knee injury again. Mm. So it was very touch and go for some point. And you even see during the match, he's actually got some additional, an additional knee brace behind his knee pad during the match. I watched the match earlier and you could see it was, I mean, it, it wasn't noticeable at first, but you could tell as the match went on, it started to, to build up again. But do you think the match uh, delivered given that it was very sort of touch and go? It's still a good match. Remind me what Triple H entrance we got that year. Oh, the, yeah, the motorbike know. with the police escort. Uh, I like that one. I, I, I have a, a soft spot for Triple H's really bad WrestleMania entrances. Uh, I just think they're great. And Stephanie riding to the ring with him was a good touch as well. Obviously, we got a Stephanie bump again uh, in this match. I believe this is the one she goes through the table yep. uh, at the outside. It's nice to see Stephanie taking a bump. She takes less bumps than Brock uh, does uh, <laughs> over the years. So that's always a good one. And it's two incredible workers. Like Triple H, Like you can say all you want. And I think he gets a bad rap. He's one of the best workers of all time. And especially for a guy of his size, he is a really, really strong worker. And you're coming up against Seth Rollins, how we know how good he is. I enjoy this match overall. I don't think it's perfect. I think it was hampered by a couple of things. But I think it's a really strong WrestleMania match. I think the thing about it is, because I I do remember this match, and sometimes it comes back to me trying to remember exactly what mania it comes in, because... It's the longest match on the card at 31 minutes, exactly. But it's lumped in between the John Cena-Nicky Bella proposal, <laughs> which follows the Hardy's return. So yeah, pretty much it's kind of there. And then the match right after it becomes is the Orton-Wyatt match, which is yeah. an absolute shit show. And then later on, obviously, there's the Undertaker thing. So it's kind of lumped in the middle of all these massive moments that I guess forget- forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he gets the victory over Triple H, again, just increases his stock again. And later down the line in 2017, we actually get a sort of mini Shield reunion uh, where he ends up winning the Tag Team Championships with Dean Ambrose. Uh, that was Ambrose's first tag title uh, win that year. Uh, and then Roman Reigns won the Intercontinental Championship that, that same year. So it's all looking very hunky-dory for the Shield at the minute. Um, but obviously, you know... Ambrose gets injured and then Rollins has gone back to being a bit of a, a solo competitor. But I'm going to fast forward now to WrestleMania the following year. WrestleMania, uh, what was it, 34. Uh, and he wins his first Intercontinental Championship in a barnstorming, barnstorming opener match with the Miz and Dolph Ziggler. Now, Miz and Finn Balor, Dave. Miz and Finn Balor. Oh, Miz and Finn Balor, my mistake. You know, we had a feud with Ziggler yeah, later on. The botch, the botch of the night. <laughs> still got it. Still got yeah, it. <laughs> still going strong. Never changed, Dave. Never changed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, um, the mat, the triple threat with Miz and Balor, Stephen. Like, could it be considered as one of the best WrestleMania opening matches ever? Oh, it's right up there. It's fantastic. It's such a good match. It's, it's such a smart move. You need to start a WrestleMania with a match like this. Uh, that's going to get people off their feet. The year before they did it so surprisingly brilliantly with AJ Styles and Shane McMahon. This is completely different. But it's, yeah, it works so well. I think it's the Miz's best match in WWE in terms of his actual wrestling quality. Many people argue he's had his stuff with that one they had with Ziggler 
Ziggler's career was on the line was great. Mm. But this is fantastic. And I oh I held my hat up, my hand up and said this. 2018. If you take the Ambrose feud aside later in the year, which is so so shite, which is no wonder he no wonder he becomes Moxley again. But Seth Rollins in ring, the best it was at that that year. Mm. Bangers all the time. So good. I get so much stick for saying that because of some of the stuff he then says the year after it makes him look like an absolute yeah. see you next Tuesday. Well, but it's that. so good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and go obviously, you know, uh, we talked about the triple threat, but let's. Uh, Let's not forget Backlash 2018. I mean, most people want to forget most of that show. But mm. Rollins and Miz opened that show, and it was by far the only decent match on the card. So it, it just goes to show, you know, this was, you know, as Steven said, this 2018 was arguably Seth Rollins' best year in WWE thus far, just because of the amount of work rate he put in and the amount of great matches he had. Do you think he's the guy who could essentially make, you know, he creates the one match on a bad pay-per-view that's worth watching? It's tough to say it's his best year because I totally agree with you. The in-ring Seth Rollins is at a different level at this point. He's having great matches at Mania. He has that match with The Miz. He later has matches with Ziggler, McIntyre. In the ring, Seth Rollins is brilliant at this time. However, 2018 was also Seth Rollins at his most boring in terms of character work. He has the reunion with Ambrose at SummerSlam. He has the never-ending matches with The Shield against Corbin and whatever two lummoxes he manages ah, to find that week. That's, that's you know, Drew mainly. Yeah, the stories were crap. The stories were, were, were the drizzling shits. They were terrible. Uh, but it is saved by the fact that despite that bad writing, Seth Rollins could do no wrong in the ring. Like, I can't deny that. It was just a struggle to watch it week in, week out in terms of, like, weekly Raws, if you get what yeah. I mean. Mm. Like, do you remember Extreme Rules that year as well? We also got the Iron Man match that main evented the show for the Intercontinental yeah. Championship. And all because, you know, Brock Lesnar was MIA. They needed something to essentially main event a B pay-per-view, but then they actually opened SummerSlam that year. So it just goes to show, it doesn't matter if they're the main event, or if he's the main event or the opening match, he will deliver a good match. Yeah, he's, he's, he's such a he's developed into a great wrestler. Uh, you can question his use of social media at times. You can question how much <laughs> how much of a company man he is. I mean, you you gotta give him some. He's, he's he, he wants to be that leader. He wants to be what John Cena was back in the yeah. day, or yeah. to a lesser extent, Randy Orton. Randy Orton's a guy. Still a WWE guy, even though he uses his every time his contract runs out, he says he's going to bloody Ring of Honor. Randy Orton Jeez. will not go to Ring of Honor. Or Randy Orton will <laughs> say what he needs to say to get money in his pocket, Stephen. He will do yeah. what he needs to do. I, I realised when I mentioned Randy Orton as a company man, like, oh no, he's been there for that long. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Well, that's but, that's the thing, isn't it? I think to sum it up, Seth Rollins does his best wrestling as a babyface, but he's his most entertaining as a heel. I think that's how you sum that's it up. A, that's a very good uh, good summary there. But, Stephen, I want to talk about when you actually spoke to him over the phone during a, a WWE <laughs> media call during the 2018 European tour. Uh, now, that, that interview is on our back catalogue. Just uh, make sure you look it up. Um, but how did it feel actually talking to the man himself? I'm not going to act like a starstruck man, Dave, because uh, I don't get starstruck, you know, unless I meet Stephen Davis or Dado Puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're football shite now. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think one of the questions you asked was actually surrounding his ring gear. 
yes. and that's become a sort of running theme for him uh you know as his face run over the past few years because he's a lot of it's been relating to marvel and other areas of pop culture so we've, we've seen him don uh, gear that reflects the new x-men we've seen him do tron at summerslam 2018 uh, at summerslam 2016 i should say 2018 he did thanos against ziggler with where one boot one of his boot is is gold that is the infinity gauntlet uh it's uh, an all red attire which i think represented deadpool we had avengers endgame in his sort of 2019 run but then of course how could we forget uh his tribute to the night king in yes. game of thrones at wrestlemania oh, 34. So like any of the do any of these attires like stick out to you guys at all in particular night king easily the night, king. Night, night king's a good one uh he does a good one the year before is a good one as well i don't think that's a theme but it's quite good oh what the gold one uh yeah i can't make the... i think that's the that's the the Kingslayer, King, yeah. Kingslayer, that's a Game of Thrones reference technically as well, because I think he is meant to be like Jamie Lannister in that particular one. Uh-huh. I'm like, saying, I don't know, I don't know, uh, I've not developed back into Game of Thrones since the final season. I know, uh, for good reason, neither, yeah. Neither of that, Stephen. Hey, SummerSlam gear, I know we joke about it. Hey, SummerSlam gear is still one of my favourites of all time. Well, <laughs> I, I, I love it. The Thanos one was... The Thanos one was quite creative, I'll give it that. But I think, personally, my favourite was the Avengers Endgame one. The yeah. one he had in 2019. You mentioned, the, the, you mentioned the Chicago Bears one in your notes, David, as well. It, it's not really a big theme, but it does look cool. I think the colour coordination to it is cool. But in mm. terms of themes, the Game of Thrones Night King one's great. It's just because he's got, he's got the eyes on it as well, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, the eyes are fantastic. I think Miz should have come out as Bran Stuck. That would have made things even better. Just, no, the way he is coming with it now, he's on the back uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then Finn, Finn Balor came out with the, the LGBTQ plus colours on it for yeah, a Balor Club for everyone. Uh, we're talking about all this, but it's everyone's best gear is clearly whatever shirt he chooses to wear to SmackDown these days. Oh, right, they, they just tore everything, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to his suits uh, in a bit as well. Now, let's fast forward. You know, he actually wore the Chicago Bears attire when he won the, the 2019 Royal Rumble. Uh, again, another massive massive win for his career he last eliminates Braun Strowman the winner of the greatest Royal Rumble the year prior uh, and then he then goes into that feud with Lesnar where he wins his first universal title reign uh, you know he wins it in about two minutes in the opening match of Wrestlemania 35 mm. but this is where sort of things start to sort of turn a bit for Rollins's face character because his relationship with Becky Lynch is now public and he goes into the what feels like a never-ending feud with Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans uh, up and up to Extreme Rules, I believe it was. Was there any point in that sort of time period that really thought, like, either this is going really great or this is just the drizzling shit? Go, I'll start with you. I think that WWE has a problem with booking babyface champions for the past five years. Because it's not a Seth Rollins exclusive problem. You look at Kofi, you look at AJ, you look at Drew. They're stuck in feuds. Each one of them is probably feuded with Dolph Ziggler at a point in their championship run. I think that's safe to put on the bingo card at this point. Uh, they have never-ending feuds, boring feuds that seem to go nowhere. They're told maybe to lessen down personality. They try and just be smarmy or they try and be like funny and it never pays off. They're given like this blanket personality archetype to follow as champion. And it just doesn't work. And it doesn't help that 
unlike with Drew and Kofi and AJ, who really played by the company line, were role models during their championship run, uh, Rollins was outspoken. You know, he'd come out and he'd have a Twitter spat with Will Osprey over money. You know, he'd come out and say this, he'd come out and say that. So, well, you're trying to have him play this white meat babyface on TV, which is boring enough, but you could maybe get away with it. When he's going behind the scenes, he has been a bit edgier. It doesn't. It doesn't work. There's a disconnect, and that's not a judgment on the man. See, to be honest, I don't think Seth Rollins has said anything in the media against other wrestling companies that other wrestling companies haven't said against WWE. Mm-hmm. So, fair, actually, fair play to him. My biggest issue with it is it was a complete disconnect from the character we're seeing on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm actually glad you brought that up because he actually did get quite a lot of negative attention for his social media activities, particularly towards Will Ospreay about, you know, they were comparing bank accounts and stuff, like, because WWE is the big, uh, the place with all the money and all the power and stuff. But uh, he actually did up apologizing in early July, saying that they were not in line with his values. So I suppose he took responsibility for it. But, ah, but it's a bit of battering in the end. And I see at the end of the day, we all talk about Rollins as if, like, he killed someone's kitten. He didn't. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said something in passing to Will Ospreay you know, who turns out isn't the, the best human being in yeah, the planet. Yeah, I, 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 I was, I was going to say, I mean, down the line, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rollins has made a comment about money, which is stupid. It's probably not the wisest move. Uh, but yeah, but Osprey's not exactly insane either. It's like, that's the point Dave's trying to make, you know. Uh, uh, I think the thing about it as well is, we're looking at 2019 here. This is just about the point where the AEW bubble is beginning, you know. So... He's given bad. He's given verbals online. Maybe money's not a great example to do verbals, but his clearly intention is to do a verbal. Yeah, the, the bloody Bucks changed their Twitter bio every five minutes, and everybody's like, "Oh yes, the Bucks!" A hundred percent. And that's that's the thing, Stephen. The problem isn't what he's saying, because I think more WWE guys should come out and say, "No, we actually we're putting on some good wrestling here." Like, don't don't come out and say all oh, all of us this this is terrible. You know what I mean? Because that's quite disrespectful with the likes of Rollins, who, like we say, was putting on good matches at this time. But the problem with it was that he was forced to play this character, babyface champion number one, which WWE wants. So the fans were ready to turn on him just because they were unsatisfied with the product. They weren't unsatisfied with Seth Rollins and what he did in the ring. They were unsatisfied with the character direction that he was being given as a babyface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you guys, I think, you know, you've hit the nail on the head about these 2019 uh, comments that he made. He drew some negative attention, particularly when he referred to AEW as the minor leagues. And, uh, it was. Well, <laughs> like, was he meant yeah, to say? Oh, yeah, they're that, just that, as big as at us. At that point, yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a new company still, yeah. They could have been the minor leagues in hindsight. You know, they've came out to be very good. But I think, as my thing in wrestling is, if you like... If you're a fan of what the AEW thing's going, if you're a fan of Chris Jericho making a comment about anything that goes on in WWE, you've got to equally be a fan of the likes of things like Shotzi Blackheart making a comeback uh, gif on it. If Rollins' comment had not been about money, Mm -hmm. I think it would have been okay. I think people would have got on it, but I think it's the fact it looks like he's trying to flaunt his wealth at a guy like Osprey who... And I think is where I think some of the... WWE don't help him in points because he makes a comment about Ricochet and then WWE like six months later stop using Ricochet the same way so I don't think WWE help him there if he's like our boys made a comment about Ricochet let's say uh, let's give well they give Ricochet a US title and all yeah. and all season at that point but Ricochet then drops it quickly and then goes up to your security if they think right you want to make our guy not look like an idiot let's keep Ricochet high but then Ricochet gets fed to Lesnar 
at the Saudi show the year after. And yeah. he's tossed aside for about a year until currently, so. Yeah, 100%. But unfortunately, the negative stories from 2019 don't end there because, guys, I think we need to talk about the that Hell in a Cell match with The Fiend. Uh, Rollins in particular, his character, not the, not Kobe Lopez, Seth Rollins' character, got a lot of criticism from the audience uh, about him retaining the Universal title over The Fiend over referee stoppage inside Hell in a Cell, which is never meant to happen. And the wrestling world had an absolute field day with this. Uh, Uncle Dave Meltzer gave the match minus two out of five, which I'm pretty sure was <laughs> what the... Uh, I'm pretty sure that was the same rating as the Briscoe-Patterson evening gown match. The uh, scale is so stupid. Yeah. Scaleless. If it's out of five, Dave, it's zero see, to five. See if, you, see if you talk about guys saying things on Twitter. I mean, Meltzer needs to tone down his body. Twitter reactions these days. I mean, Dave, we know <laughs> you're a very respected journalist in the game. Dave, fair enough. But stop calling people stupid. So this is the, and this is the thing, Dave. The best reaction came from inside WWE's own studio when Sean Waltman just stands up in front of everyone. <laughs> yep. He's like, shut up, it's back. And he's like, you can't have a stoppage or a disqualification inside Hell in a Cell. He's outraged. Like he's going he's he's to storm the ring himself. Like, this isn't going to work. Like, like he's ready for like a boom. So why, why? How, how good would it be if he came out, but he came out to like 2001 X Factor music? No, David, <laughs> X Factor. <laughs> tears both his quads when he gets to the ring. Oh, nice. He was, he was fuming. Like he was oh, utterly nice. fuming. I haven't well, seen him that angry since he tore his arsehole doing a Bronco Buster. <laughs> <laughs> well, that uh, it was the Wrestling Observer newsletter's worst match of the year, 2019. Unsurprisingly, and it also went down as the worst feud of the year with the Fiend. <laughs> It, it, it helped absolutely no one. The Fiend yeah. at that particular point, he was coming off a of SummerSlam where he had a fantastic, you know, mm -hmm. feud. A fantastic uh, debut segment with yeah. Finn Balor. This actually, Finn Balor makes him look like a superstar. That Finn Balor's the one guy who made him look the best in the whole roster. Uh, but Rollins at this particular point, he'd done, he'd went through the summer having that, you know, all that's fallout from the Osprey stuff that was coming into the, the crowd reactions. They got the crowd back on side, a fantastic SummerSlam main event with Lesnar that year. And then they give him this. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you're not helping him here, which is, I think this is one of the first real example, one of the most recent examples WWE have thought, right, we need to do something here. And literally, like two months later, he's a heel again, mm -hmm. which is good because they've never yeah. really, they don't really do that as much. So It's almost like, yeah. The New York Post hypothesized that WWE had no choice but to turn Seth Rollins heel after this, even though it doesn't absolve WWE from blame for having to make the switch, because it was essentially, it was the Bleacher Report says that this reaction essentially was a response against a character. Uh, and this refers back to what you said earlier ago. It's a character that has become too bland, one dimensional and unlikable for fans to continue supporting. And it wasn't until after Survivor Series that we started to see that the transition back into a heel, which brings us very nicely to the manifestation of CrossFit Jesus, and he becomes the Monday Night Messiah, you know, creating a little stable with Buddy Murphy and AOP. And his gimmick is essentially, yeah, he, carry, he portrays himself as this evangelical messiah who sacrifices his opponents for the greater good. The greater good. Shut it. 
<laughs> now, Stephen, this uh, this character, I think, definitely was sort of like a reset button for Rollins. Uh, you know, given all the shit he had to put up with in the past year. Do you think this stable had a lot of potential given hindsight? Uh, you know, Murphy's now gone, AOP's now gone. Do you think this was a potentially a missed opportunity for something truly spectacular? Yeah, I think so. I think they, they could have done so, so much with it. I mean, you got to firstly give credit to Rollins in this one. Seth Rollins is brilliant in the role as the Monday Night Messiah. But the stable for several reasons doesn't go as you'd like. I mean, the AOP, for example, one of them gets injured and then they get let go. I mean, I think there's talk that the AOP are now, there's a rumour that they're done wrestling now, which is a shame. Uh, although they may end up showing up somewhere soon. Um, the Murphy stuff, the payoff could have been great. Payoff could have been brilliant. Because uh, they had the whole stuff with, you, with the Mysterios, which Murphy does a great job in and you feel that like when Murphy makes the turn, on it's just something they chuck on a random SmackDown. They don't really give it the time and the place for it, where it could have been a match on a pay-per-view, made mm. Murphy look like a big star. I mean, let's be brutally honest, Murphy is now going to be in a better place now than he would have been in WWE, because he's a fantastic wrestler. Mm. And let's not forget, there was another guy in the stable as well, of Austin Fury, who got, yes. chuck, who got chucked down to... NXT. Austin Theory has been in three stables in the pa- since the pandemic. He yeah, was yeah. in the one with Andrade and Garza. Yeah, he was in the what the the greater good. And is he still in the way? The way the way might not be a thing anymore after yeah. that selfish man, Dexter Loomis, <laughs> uh, seduced uh, lovely Miss Indy Hartwell, and I like the way. <laughs> So if they've split up because of that maniac, I'll fight Dexter Loomis in NXT next week. Uh, right? Sorry, I have to disagree. Index for life. Oh. Uh, index for life. True love never fails. They just need to bring out the Canalis' old music. Here's to the But I'm glad you brought up the feud with the Mysterios. And go, I want to talk about the, um, the sort of brief change in character you know following money in the bank you know he's he's just lost the wwe title match to drew mm. uh they ended up shaking hands afterwards as well you think okay could we possibly see a, another face turn again but the night after obviously becky lynch announces her pregnancy and mysterio looks at him you know, he looks so deflated afterwards he's thinking he's either thinking oh i've lost the wwe title match or he's thinking oh shit, i'm gonna become a dad <laughs> but um that's when we get this whole eye for an eye angle and you know Rollins becomes very much maniacal when it comes to sacrificing his opponents yeah. um, I remember watching the eye for an eye match at Extreme Rules I, did you ever think you ever see something so outlandish that Seth Rollins would be involved in such a such a concept yeah uh, the writing is crazy and the writing with the Mysterio feud isn't perfect either but the difference between this and what we've talked about earlier is that this Rollins character is now so strong that he can survive and move past bad writing to make it work. Because he is larger than life, he is maniacal, he's evil, he's sadistic, he's sinister. He's also really funny. 
Like, he's just, you can tell that Seth Rollins in that role was having just the time of his life again. You could tell that the passion for promos, the passion for wrestling was reinvigorated. You know, and let's not forget, it's an eye for an eye match and it gets a lot of stick. It's still Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio. It's still two of the absolute goats, man, going out there and wrestling. The match ain't that bad. You know, like before the the eye pops out, <laughs> that match is actually <laughs> fairly decent. Uh, so let's just bear that in mind. But yeah, overall, like dodgy writing with the Mysterios, a lot of the feuds around this time either go on too long, too short. Um, but at the same time, Seth Rollins as the Messiah is perfect, and I love the music at this time as well. I really like that song. Mm. And let's not forget as well, he actually was Dominic Mysterio's first opponent at SummerSlam in the street a fight. Very, a very good match. He does a great job of helping Dominic through the match, which is mm. fine. Yeah. Uh, to a point that you actually believe that Dominic's going to win it. So fair play to him for that, you know. Mm. Yeah, he does, a great, he, does, he does a very good job acting like a reliable veteran who can, you know, make a, a young up-and-comer look his best in his debut match. And I like the tribute he did when he wore Rey Mysterio's Halloween Havoc attire. Uh, yes. Or a sort, of, a, a sort of makeshift version of it. Oh, He's just 100%. such a troll as well. But... Let's. I think I don't want to sort of go too much into the 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 well. His initial draft to SmackDown, where the the unfortunately the feud continues, and it all seems to be revolving around the Aaliyah and Murphy oh, story arc. That, that's what that's what that's what wrestling's going wrong now, David. There's not enough of Rey Mysterio's wife anymore. Where's what? Angie? Hi, where's Angie? Angie? Yeah, Angie. Where are you? <laughs> I want Angie on our TV screen. That has that's our Christmas special. Angie Mysterio special. Can't wait to promise you. It's going to be a short one, but yeah. No, we'll do it on Linda, Angie, and Seth's penis. Uh, (laughs) A nice collection. God's sake. Uh, But yeah, the Messiah stable falls apart, and he's actually written off at Survivor Series that year because he's uh, he went on paternity leave for a bit. But he made his return at the 2021 Royal Rumble, sort of reviving this sort of evangelical character, but with a slight twist in it into the form of like a, a pastor or a preacher of his own church. And he has such such a complete makeover with his wardrobe with these amazing suits. Now, go. you mentioned the, the suits earlier on when we were talking about his ring gear. Like, do you have any comment on particular about how he became, well, some people online are referring to him as Sethi Drip Drip. He's, he's amazing. Like it's it's incredible because there's there there's so many people in wrestling right now who are just content with looking the same and the way stand out in terms of their look. Like oh, let the work in the ring talk for me. That's not how you make yourself a star. It's all about the presentation. And he's wearing these ridiculously ugly leather numbers. He's coming in order in the most obnoxious suits possible. And he, it's not as if Seth Rollins thinks that they actually look good. Seth Rollins wears those because he knows he's going to get hated for them. And it's actually an entertaining part of the, the show that we can watch every week and think, what ugly ass uh, suit is Seth Rollins going to wear to SmackDown this week? It's fantastic. Um, and I think that Seth Rollins doesn't get enough credit for being a chameleon type wrestler who's able to move from NXT to Shield to Authority to Babyface to Messiah to The Vision. Whether you think that it's like a drastic change in character or not, it's still a changing character which keeps things fresh, and a lot of that is down to the look. And the suits are the suits are what is doing it for him nowadays, man. 
Yeah, it's like one week he'll come out as uh, looking like Daft Punk. The other week he'll come out looking like he's wearing his grandmother's curtains. And then one <laughs> week he'll come out wearing a suit that he yeah. feels like he's just done a big, he's just done a lot of painting in. But he's still not wearing, <laughs> still not wearing socks. I mean, what's going oh, on? Oh, I hate the shoes with no socks. And it's a, a decision. Look. That's what he wants you to say. He's a heel. Like, that's a, that's a choice, man. Uh, that's a people, choice. People need to chant, where's your socks, just like they did with uh, Kenny Williams at Fear and Loathing in uh, 2019, <laughs> I think it was. Nice. Uh, yeah, like, get a, get a where's your socks chant going every time he comes out, you know, with shoes and no socks. But, Stephen, I want to round off um, with a... Well, obviously, we're recording this uh, before SummerSlam comes out this year. And we've just been granted a dream match scenario that's coming true. SummerSlam this year, he's going one-on-one -on -one with Edge. Now, this is something I think that's been in the pipeline for almost seven years now, where there was a moment where Rollins was going to curb stomp Edge onto the Money in the Bank contract and literally snap his neck in half. One point, I think, even said he was going to kill him, which, I mean, for a PG product, that was ex pretty extreme. But, so how excited are you to finally see Seth Rollins versus Edge, one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, I'm excited because WWE have acknowledged their own history and fed back to a moment which they don't do enough. They need to, if they did that a lot more, it would make their feud seem so much more natural and you would buy into it. But which I think what's helping for this feud, I think is one of the ones you're buying into on what's looking... I'm being honest, it does look like a decent SummerSlam card at the moment, aside from Goldberg. I hope Lashley batters hell out of Goldberg, but that's for a different yeah. show altogether. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's great to kind of see because I think Edge has done a good job since he's came back of he's made people look like a million bucks. He made Roman Reigns look a million bucks. Yeah, he made Roman Reigns look a million bucks. Uh, they're Randy Orton feud. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I can't forgive that match at WrestleMania last year. It's so long and so. It's I, know hard, it's not their, man. I know it's not their fault, but it's a hard one for fans. It, it's it hard to criticise that, man. Um, but you're right, it is a hard yeah. one. Especially because there was Rollins. We're talking about Rollins' match with Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens threw himself up a fucking site. So <laughs> yeah. you, you can do things at WrestleMania with no crowds that make it not interesting. But we're not talking about Edge. We have Edge shows in the back catalogue. <laughs> uh, but it's I'm looking forward to it because they have threw back to it, and it's yeah. I think Edge. You put him in there with a young guy like Rollins. I think it's got potential to it, and I think. That's the thing, they put Edge in there with a lot of guys so far that felt safe. And he's going to work a good match without getting really hurt. Because Rollins, we, we talked about the stuff with Sting, we talked about the stuff with Bala. But since then, his style's a lot more safe. He can then he, he doesn't do the stuff anymore and he's a much more safer worker than he was then. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. It's, uh, I've not watched the last couple of Smackdowns in this great detail, so I've not really felt the feud to it. but. They're doing a lot of stuff where they're just kind of letting, they're doing a lot of talking, they're getting their words out in that one, and it feels personal a wee bit. I yeah. Think it's what you, you can feel that off of it, which you don't get enough of in WWE feuds these days. There's a perfect clash of characters there. There was the SmackDown this week where they had the Seth Rollins was uh, on video, the video call, and Edge was in the ring. And it starts off with Rollins thinking he has the upper hand over Edge. He's acting all smug, like, oh, I've outsmarted you, look how angry I've made you. And it, you just see that old Edge come out. You know, and he's manipulating Seth. He's like, you're nothing but edge light. Like, everything you've done, you're trying to walk in my footsteps it's, and you can't fill them. It's, and it's, it's perfect. Exact point. It's, a, it's an exact point. The whole cash-in 
2015 Scream's Ultimate Opportunist, yeah. which is what Edge was, you mm-hmm. know. Things that we've mentioned a lot in this show that Dave wants me to stop mentioning. Rated R Superstar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this is, that's it. And you need that. Because we've missed that edge. And we've missed that edge to Seth Rollins. He's become a bit too comedic recently. Let's get the viciousness of Seth out against Edge. And let's get the rated R Superstar against, out against Seth Rollins. That's what we need. Yeah, but have you ever seen Edge wear a suit with butterflies on it? You should. <laughs> I, think I, think, okay, I think I think Beth would be buzzing with that, man. Like she'd be, <laughs> she'd be up for that. <laughs> I tell you what, just steal the steal the white suit with paint all over it. Like, see how he looks in that. I, I think uh, at SummerSlam, like Seth should come out with like a half half gear of Lita and half gear of Christian. Like just half, <laughs> some weird half He's not. Half. He's not getting. He's not getting Christian, man. I, I like with AEW stuff. I genuinely think we need Beth involved more in stuff. Beth Phoenix is still fine. Beth Phoenix is better now than she ever has been. Been the on commentary in NXT. Bring her in oh. permanently, with Edge, man. Let's uh, do it. She'll she'll uh. she'll she'll come out. She'll criticize and we get Becky Lynch coming back. Oh, yes. Mitch Tag, Edge and Beth, Edge and Beth, Brilliant. Oh, I think it'll be be better than Corbin and Lacey Evans. Although the best part of that match is still the end of days. It's fantastic. Oh, tell you what, that's fantasy booking right there, and I hope we get that within the next. uh, Hopefully, maybe you know by a by the time another big four comes around. But we're going to wrap things up there. But just before we do, I want to get your thoughts on Seth Rollins' career so far as a whole, because, you know, he's had many highs. You know, he's won multiple awards through various wrestling media companies. He's also had a few not-so-great moments. Uh, he's married to Becky Lynch. They have a they have a daughter together. And he's he could easily go down as one of the most accomplished WWE superstars of all time. But, Stephen, what do you think has been... How would you sum up Seth Rollins' wrestling career thus far? Did you have to mention the Becky Lynch thing, first of all? I mean, yes, it I did. Everything was going so nicely. I know I've mentioned You've this long. Him, about, Dave. I know You've I've mentioned this him. long about a million times, but you didn't even mention Becky. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'll see this. Is, that, what was the question again? Sorry, Dave, I was... I would say, how, how would you sum up <laughs> Seth Rollins' career as a whole so far, given how much he's accomplished? I, I think a great way to describe it is he's the perfect example of what WWE should have should have been doing with NXT. I mean, David mentioned the big talking point of the day of we record of NXT is not might not be the same as it used to be. And I think Rollins is one of the classic success examples. He's came through the system and just rose and rose and rose to the point now that he's even when he's not in the big picture, he's still involved and you're kind of like like Sometimes, like when it came to the money in the bank, I kind of like, ah, oh, I don't even think Seth Rollins is a big thing here for this match, which is crazy because he's a massive wrestler. But I think yeah. he is. I think he's a WWE development success story, and there's very few of them considering how good NXT's been over the last decade. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go. Same question to you. How would you sum up Seth Rollins' career? Seth Rollins is one of the cornerstones of WWE in the 2010s and the 2020s, and he will go down as one of the greatest wrestlers of all time in the company. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I don't think you realise how good he is until you sit down and do a show like this. Seth Rollins has came through and not only put on brilliant wrestling clinics like a Shawn Michaels, but he's also done character work like an Edge, like we've said before. He has been consistently entertaining on the mic, while also being one of the best of his generation in the ring. 
and it's very rare to get a combination. You hold Seth Rollins up in that category with Shawn Michaels, with Ric Flair, with AJ Styles, with CM Punk. Seth Rollins belongs to that family. There's a very specific tier of wrestlers. There's a reason that wrestlers I've just named are some of the most beloved of all time. Seth Rollins might hate some of the stuff that he says. He will be remembered by this generation as one of the best. And I think I think you describe the Miller as a chameleon. David is a great example as well. You look at it like Shield. You know, you know he was the golden goose of the authority. Yeah. And then obviously the stuff now with the Messiah type stuff in that one. He's just got he's got everything he's locked in terms of that one. I think at least he think maybe in the last year or so he's kind of toned down the social media, which I think has helped him in this kind of Messiah yeah. stuff because people are focusing what he does in the ring. He's letting that do the talking. And if he wants to be a locker room leader backstage, do it like that, do the talking, and just, you know, pick who you're going to slag from the AW. You know, 100%. <laughs> there's yeah. certain guys you'll want to slag at times, and yeah, pick on Brandon, pick on Brandon Cutler. <laughs> yeah. Hey, leave yeah. him alone. He's all right. Oh, he's terrible. Have him Michael uh, Nakazawa can fuck off. <laughs> And on that note, uh, that's been our Seth Rollins feature show. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, we've got more feature show content like this coming out every Tuesday. Uh, we've got Central coming out every Thursday with Ross McLeod. And mm-hmm. of course, the the best show of our entire back catalogue, Saturday Draft Live, which you can find myself and the GOAT David Campbell, along with Jack Graham and Scott McLeod every Saturday. Mm-hmm. So make sure you tune in for that. So coming up in the coming weeks, next week we'll have SummerSlam Moments, hosted by Sarah. And then a review of NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 1, hosted by Steven. And then at the end of the month, we'll have another Mount Rushmore show, this time on commentators. So be sure to subscribe for that on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and all good Spotify. 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 Yeah, there's a new one right there. I thought you were going to say Spotitudes. <laughs> and I do have to say, please, please go and check out ESSR Central. Because Ross McLeod does his damnedest to try and get a job uh, under Vince McMahon by defending every move that the man will make. So please go and listen to him. Go and check out Support Ross as he tries to chase the job of a lifetime, people. On you go. (laughs) Uh, And of course, there's our YouTube channel where we'll have the Conspiracy Theory and the next episode of Book It will be coming out uh, in a few weeks as well. So keep an eye out for that. Quiz show round 13, Can You Feel the Heat? Uh, But all that remains for me to say is thank you to my panel today, the GOAT, David Campbell. It has been a distinct pleasure and an Mm honour. Enjoy yourselves. Thank you, Stephen Wilson. Yes, I should also outline as I do in a lot of shows I'm on, I do like AEW. I think it's a really exciting show these days. I just like to slag the ones I don't like. Yeah. (laughs) Annoy the internet at times. Brett Mm. Brett Baker. Fantastic. Oh, I love Brett Baker nowadays. I love Brett Baker. Anyway. Red Velvet will beat her. We'll save the AEW chat for another day, but until then, I've been David Hockney, and this has been our feature show on Seth Rollins, and we will see you next time. Listen to Central. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on each Superplex Retreat, East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews, and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Seek Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify, or iTunes now.